All right, anybody else in the room besides me miss TGIF? I'm not talking about the shady restaurant over in uh, Rivergate. <laughs> I'm talking about the 90s block of TV that dominated the ratings for a decade. If you guys remember, TGIF was one of those times when uh, you'd talk about it all week, like what happened, and then you'd get to school on Friday morning, and you'd just kind of fly through the day, you'd hit the door, and then you would make sure all the homework was done as quickly as possible because you didn't know what was coming. And it gave us shows like this. It gave us shows like uh, Step by Step. Anybody remember Step by Step? All right, anybody remember uh, Hanging with Mr. Cooper? Yeah. All right, here's a big one. Anybody remember Full House? Anybody want to admit that you watch Fuller House? <laughs> Not really. I saw one hand like, it's all right if you do. It's all right if you do. Uh, but this, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm plan a song in, uh, in your head that you're going to think about the rest of the day. But this was my personal favorite. You guys remember this one? <laughs> On the newspaper page And love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these gentle walls Cause all I see You're welcome, because you will have that stuck in your head the rest of the day. I promise you, I've had it in my head for the week. Uh, but here's what we would do. Like I said, we would run through the door, we'd get all that homework done, and then mom would put in some microwave dinners or some of those TV dinners where we would eat meatloaf-ish. Like, I don't know if it was real meatloaf, but it was like meatloaf in this little congealed package. And we'd peel that back, and you'd always burn your fingers. But then we would go, and we would run, and we would huddle around what we thought was massive at the time. We would huddle around this 21-inch Magnavox. You know what I'm talking about? And we would get around this, and we all had our separate TV trays, because we wanted to know how Urkel was going to mess with the big guy, right? And we would tune into this, and I would kind of get through the other shows just so I could get to Family Matters. And I'm going to tell you, I miss those days. I miss those days. And looking back at those days, what I see was, was family really does matter. It instilled in me that family really does matter. It instilled in me uh, the uh, core values and principles that I still carry with me today. It, family shapes us. Family supports us. It encourages us. It teaches us. It protects us. It holds us accountable. And I had no idea that what I was experiencing around that little TV watching a guy named Urkel, I had no idea what was, gonna, what was really shaping and forming me for the rest of my life. And here's the thing. God designed it to be that way. But I want to hit the pause button on that for a second. I also know and fully acknowledge that when you think of family, you don't think of good times around the TV. That sometimes there's painful memories that come with family. And there's, there's not the TGIF fuzzy, good, warm feelings that come with that. And, and, and you don't have this great rush of emotion and memory, at least not good ones. 
And I want to say this morning, as I talk about family, I'm sorry for that. And I wish there were some things that I could do to go back and change some of those things. But luckily, we serve a God who's good enough to give us another family. Guys, that's why God designed church. And so when we talk about family, yeah, we talk about the physical family, the biological family that you grew up in, but we also talk about God's more perfect design even, and we talk about the spiritual family. And so in those moments when we have some rough times and we don't have such pleasant memories, thank God that he was good enough to give us something that allows us to at least feel like we are valued as family should. And so for those of us who have good memories and those of us who have bad and a lot of things in between, you need to know that God has designed something for us. And so when we talk about family, we're not just talking about the physical. We're also talking about the spiritual family. And that's the good news as believers is that we're called into this community. Over and over and over again, there's, there's terms where Jesus and others refer to us as sons and daughters. Those are family terms. He, he refers to one another as brother and sister. Those are family terms. He says that we're kin. In fact, Paul says it in Ephesians. I love what Paul, as he's trying to encourage those who might have had to leave family or didn't have family or family had passed on, all kinds of situations, good family, bad family. He says, listen, God decided something. And he says to the Ephesians in chapter 1, he says, God decided in advance. He already knew what was going to happen. He said he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family through Jesus. And I love that Paul doesn't just stop there because that's really good news. But he goes on to say, this is what God, talking about God, he said this is what he wanted to do and it gives him great pleasure. God gets joy out of extending, out of adding to, out of adopting family members. And so here we are, we're family. And so unlike physical family, God doesn't make it impossible. God doesn't make it difficult to be a part of the family. And, and, and know this too, that the primary objective of God's family is not just TGIF happy moments. It's bigger than that. Here's what God was doing. God designed this spiritual family to help us identify with and to be more like Jesus. He says, listen, I, I want to create a community where you can begin to identify with Jesus as you begin to identify and, and as you begin to do life with one another, but also I want to help you in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And so the design was this, to help us get through life. We say this a lot, especially in, in connection with house group, is that we were never designed, Chris said it earlier, we were not designed to do life alone. Because life is tough, life is hard. And God says, let me, let me design something that will help us get through life. And he says, let me design something where I can open my heart and I can open my arms to encompass everybody into the community that's searching for a place to belong, a place to feel loved, and a place to feel value. He says, that's why I'm calling it family. So we're going to talk through some family things this morning. We're going to talk through some values. We're going to talk through some things that, that, that uh, is going to impact and change not just your physical family, but has impact in our community and our spiritual family. But before we get there, let me lay out a few things that this is not this morning. I felt like it's important to kind of tell you because I didn't want you to shut off early. This is, this is what it's not. First of all, this is not today about people with kids only. So when I use the word family... I want you to know that we're not talking about just people who have kids. Guys, we are a church that exists 
for single people. And I don't care if you're 18 and single or 88 and single. We are a church that is here to serve you like family. I don't care if you're married. I don't care if you're divorced, with kids, without kids, empty nesters that had kids and don't want kids. And everything in between. We have old people who are part of the family, and we have young people who are part of the family. So I'm not just talking about people with kids today. So if you're here and you go, oh, this is just going to be a lesson on how we're going to help kids. No, it's more than that. It's also this. It's not just when you have kids, it's not become, you becoming a more religious parent. And so if you do have kids today, I don't want you to think that you've got to somehow go home and set up a, a, a list of rules to help you seem more religious so that you somehow are fulfilling what I'm going to encourage you to fulfill. That's not what it's about. I'm sure the Pharisees were good parents, but that's not what we're talking about. And kind of in keeping with that, it's not about you leaving today comparing your family to someone else's family or yourself single, married, or otherwise, it's not about comparing yourself to someone else and go, man, I wish I could be more like that family. It's not about those kinds of things because no one is perfect. And on that note, it's not about being the perfect family. I want you to know, and I'm giving you permission, I'm telling you it's okay. There's always going to be, and I expect an amen on this, there's always going to be a level of dysfunction in the family. Guys, Noah had a drinking problem. Abraham offered his wife to another man. Jacob, remember his sons, they sold a younger son into slavery. I think of David. David had an affair, and then his son went on to start a rebellion. That's pretty dysfunctional. And God says, listen, I'm going to work in the midst of that dysfunction because I don't, and I didn't set up family to be perfect. I just set it up for in those moments of dysfunction, we have support. I want you to know this too. It's not about guarantees. It's just about us doing our best. And so today, I don't want you to jot all this down and go, this is some recipe to, to somehow, if I can hit all of these and hit them strong enough, that my kids will grow up to be exactly like I want. Or that if I, I do this, that my other relationships that these things can be applied to will somehow turn out exactly like I, it's not a guarantee. Guys, I know some really good, godly parents who have bad kids, and I know some really good kids who came from some really bad parents. Because there is no guarantees. It's about us giving our best. And so Wellhouse wants to help you. Our leadership wants to help you give your best shot. And finally, it's this. And I need you to hear this because sometimes uh, this is what happens with family. It distorts. This is not about us becoming collectively some closed-off, tight-knit family. To use a Fokker resident or uh, a Fokker uh, term, it's not about creating a circle of trust that no one else can get in. It's not this moment where we turn inward. It's not that moment where we, we say, whoo, man, I'm glad I'm in the family and I'm skeptical of anybody else who wants in the family. I need you to hear this. So when we talk, because here's what can happen in our community if we're not careful. We throw the term family out and everybody else thinks, what? well, there's no place for me in the family. No, we're outward-focused family. We're going to be this family that is always looking to extend. So here's what it is. So we know what it's not today. Let me tell you what it is. It's God using us, family, to tell his story. 
God always did that. If you go back and look from the very beginning, which we're going to do today, God always used family to tell his story, and he included everyone in the story. It's the heart of God being communicated through the heart of the family. It's about this. It's about legacy, not inheritance. It's about legacy, not inheritance. It's about leaving a legacy. It's about what it is that you, whether you have kids or not, it's about what you will leave for somebody is important but it's not nearly as important as what you'll leave in somebody. And so it's about leaving a legacy. It's about not so much the, the, the gifts and, and all the stuff that you might work so hard to make sure that you leave things for, for the people that are important to you, wives, family, neighbor, whatever it is, whoever it is. It's about what it is that you're leaving in them. It's about creating legacy. So we're going to go to Deuteronomy 6. I told you we're going to go all the way back. And I'm going to give you a few things that are both in the context of physical family, but also that you're going to find very applicable to the spiritual family. So let me give you a little background on on chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Moses, this is his last address. If you don't know Moses, Moses was the guy that that God chose to lead his people out of slavery. And so if we look back, you're going to see that the people of Israel were oppressed. In fact, they were were on the brink of potential at any moment, could have uh, on the potential of, of genocide. And so you have this renowned rescue where Moses walks into Pharaoh and begins to bargain and barter with him and says, listen, I'm going to take my people out of here whether you want me to or not. And he's like, yeah, sure you are. And he sends frogs and locusts and he turns water to blood and all these sorts of, of what we call plagues. He sends 10 of them. Finally, Pharaoh says, take them, get them out of here. I don't want to deal with this anymore. So then in between where we sit now in chapter six and where they were, they have all this wilderness trek. They have some really bleak days. We're going to talk about that in the next series. In fact, the entire series is about that. So we have this wilderness trek, and they are on the brink now of reclaiming a promised land. So when they left slavery, they have this wilderness trek, but there's a land that has been promised to them, and they're on the brink. It's like they can see it. They're right there. They're at the moment, and and they're about to cross in. They have kind of fulfilled their time in the desert. All of a sudden, God is about to give them that which they have waited generations for. He is going to give them and deliver them the promised land. They're going to reclaim their homeland, and Moses decides to resign. And this is his resignation speech. He huddles everybody in, and so he recounts the journey leading up to our text today. And then he, he talks about the covenant. He says, listen, I don't want you to, to forget the covenant that God made for you and stay faithful to those covenants. And then he switches and he shifts the message from journey and covenant, and he shifts it to something else. And it's almost as if there's too much at stake. He has everyone's eyes and ears, and there was too much at stake for him not to mention what it is that he mentions. So we're going to pick up in verse 4 and listen to what he says. Right in the midst of all this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He says, these commandments I give to you today are to be up on your heart and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk down the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead and write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. What we see in this is, yeah, he's concerned about the family as parent kid, but he's concerned about the Israelites. He's concerned about the larger spiritual community. 
And I think there's five family timeless values I just want to give you quickly as. But here's the thing. They're all connected back to the value of relationship. Yeah, son and daughter, mom and dad. But relationships of friends and spouses and neighbors and coworkers. Five things that I think you can use with, yes, the physical family, but five things that you can use on yourself. And five things that, as Wellhouse, they have become the core as we are committed to. Here's the first one. He says, you got to start here. He says, imagine the end. Verse 6, or verse 4, he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what Moses does right out of the gate when he shifts to this family message, he begins with the end. He says, let me go ahead and kind of give you the bottom line. I'm going to give you some practical things that's going to help you in life, but let me give you the bottom line. Let me give you the end game. He says, in this one statement, here's what Moses is saying. It's not about nations. It's not about promised land. It's not about church. It's not even about family. Here's what it's about. He says, it's about God. And and the end game has to be God. It starts with God and it ends with God. He says the end game is God. And he says if you don't start here, Israel, you'll end up somewhere that you don't want to be. So he said go ahead and put a flag in the end. Wherever it is that you're going to navigate and journey through life, make sure that the end flag is about God and that everything along the way is about God. He says start at the end. He says it's about God. And so when we begin to look at the relationships in our lives, what do you want for your kids? What do you want for your spouses? What do you want for your friends? What is it that you desire? What is it you want for your coworkers and your neighbors? Now, here's the thing. We're good at making things about us. Guys, we, we, we do a really good job making this even about us. And Moses gives us this gentle reminder that, listen, all the things in the world that you might want for your kids or want for your spouse or want for your friends, if they don't include God, they're, not, they're, they're, they're no good. So I I ask you, what do you want for the people that are closest to you? What do you want for those people? And if the end result isn't God and it doesn't include God every step of the way, then it doesn't matter. He says, remember, he says, imagine the end. It's about focusing on the end and guess who's at the end? God. He says, it's not about you. The journey's not about you. So he says, let me start there. But I want you to take what I'm going to give you to start with, and I want you to go ahead and move. Even though you don't know every twist and turn, I want you to go ahead and go out here at the end and plant that flag that every move and every twist and every turn is going to be about God being the one. And then he begins to navigate from there. In verse 5, he says, fight for the heart. He says, let me give you the one thing that really matters, God. Now let me give you the secondary things that matter. He says, fight for things that matter. Fight for the heart. Verse 5, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Here's a fundamental principle. In fact, it's so fundamental, it's so profound that Christ, Jesus, would later use it as the cornerstone of his ministry. If you remember in about Matthew 23, there's some people that come to Jesus and they're really kind of tuned in. They said, we want to know what matters We want to know how it is that we're going to get into the kingdom of God. We want to make sure that we are keeping the law as it's meant to be kept. And you, Jesus, are the Messiah. So what is it that you would say is the most important commandment? And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength. And he goes on to say, and the second is like this, love each other. You guys realize that in Deuteronomy 6, we're a ways into the narrative. We're a ways into the story. You know that this marks one of the few times, if any, where it references a person, you and I, a person's love to God. See, we see God's love for us. We read about God, and I'm talking about the physical way that it's, it's grammatically and, and, and linguistically ch- changed up or set up. He says, we know God's love for us. We've also heard about God desiring us to love each other. But something changes here. Suddenly, we're introduced to the fact that God doesn't just love us and that we're to love each other, that we can love him. See, we, we, we see all throughout text to this point, there's mentions of worshiping God. There's mentions of respecting God. There's mentions of fearing God, but not necessarily love. So all of a sudden now, love for God, loving God enters into the picture. And guys, this is unique and it's transformational. Let me tell you why. That this concept of fighting for our hearts and not just being loved by God, but us loving God. It's what separates living faith from just religious practice. Now, hear what I'm saying is that Moses here is fighting, and he's, he's wanting them to tune in. I, I want you to know, guys, you're going to be tempted, and we see the story. They're tempted in all kinds of ways. He says, you're going to be tempted to just become ritual-driven. And I want to open this up and say, no, you love by God, but you get to love the Christ. He says, I'm not fighting for practice. I'm not fighting for a church program. I'm not fighting for you to have better habits. I'm fighting for your heart. And I want your heart to be in love with a God. He is concerned that a generation might lose their faith. And as I begin to unfold the story and think about where it is they're going, why is it that he says, listen, you've got to fight for your heart? Why is it that he says this? Because they have come from the wilderness. But if you think about it, where are they going? To a land, if you read on, says that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, let me put that in our culture. Guys, we live in a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And if we don't fight for our hearts, we don't fight for our spouse's heart, we don't fight for our kid's heart, they'll start to love other things. You see it all throughout the Israel story. They, they begin to love the milk and honey. So he says, listen, set the end game up. Imagine the end. He says, it's about God, but you're going to have to fight for that. Because you're about, to, you're about to see riches, and you're about to see pleasure and comfort like you've never seen it, and you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight for the heart. And guys, this supersedes. This is why Jesus says what he says when he was asked about the greatest commandment. He says this supersedes all the other rules. It puts relationship with God above everything else. And here's the thing about this, is that rules outside the context of a relationship is just rules. Anybody else hate this statement when you were growing up? Can I do, or can I go, or can I, you know, whatever the, the statement was, and they would say no, and then you would ask why, and the statement was always back what? Because I said so. Guys, I hated that. 
I rebelled in college for four years because I heard those statements growing up. Because guess what? I found myself in an area of life where there wasn't anybody telling me anything. But I noticed a shift with my mom and dad, especially as I got into, into those student years, those teen years, where my mom and dad would begin to say things like this instead. Why can't I? My dad would say, because I love you too much. Why can't I stay out till 2 a.m.? Because I love you too much. And again, that just infuriated me all the same. But as we began to unfold that and unpack that, and as I began to get older and understand what potentially could have happened, what I figured out that my dad did love me. See, rules without relationship is just rules. But rules in the context of relationship, in a loving relationship, guess what? They become things that shape us. And they, they become things that not only hold us accountable, but give us security. So parents, fight for the heart. Don't pass down rules of doing church. Don't pass down guilt and shame if they mess up. Help them fall in love with God. And spouses, help. Help your spouse fall in love with God. Put God at the center of those things. Fight for the hearts of your friends, your coworkers. Pray that people that you love will fall in love with God. And then he says, make it personal. Verse 6, he says, these commandments I give to you today are to be upon your heart. Now, I'm going to get where you live for just a second. I'm going to be personal, and this, this is for me. You're like, well, hold up. That last one was pretty personal. Um, I want you to follow something here in this text. Moses connects, love the Lord your God, to these commandments that you're to put up on your heart, Right? And here's what he's doing. If you look ahead in verse 7, he says, now I want you to pass those on. I want you to, to impress them on your children. But notice that before he gets into the passing on part, he says that you need to do what? They're to be upon your hearts. Now here's my bold statement. You can't pass down something or on something that you don't have. And so Moses, before he says, hey, before you go knocking on your kid's door and telling them how they need to be loving God, he says, no, you need to have them on your hearts first. See, because he knew you can't impress something on your children. You can't impress something on your coworkers. You can't impress something on a friend of yours if you don't have it down first. And again, this is not about perfection. It's not about you knowing all the rules and knowing the Bible. It's about you have already realizing that God is the end game and that I'm fighting for my heart and so as a part of that, I'm, I'm going to make this personal. Guys, kids, our kids, our students, they need to know that you trust God. I mean, how many times do we have catastrophic things happen in our homes, and the first thing we do is we go, I just don't know what we're going to do. Again, be conscious of those things. They need to know that you trust God. They need to see you serving. You know, one of, the, one of the biggest things that used to eat me up in student ministry was that we would do these big serving days, and we would have like just host of, of parents drop their kids off to go serve, but I never saw them lift a finger to serve. And, and, and we wonder why our kids get to a certain place as they become adults where they don't value the things that they used to value in student ministry is because we somehow outgrow those things. And so what we need to do as adults, we need to continue to value those things. So they need to know you trust God. They need to know you'll serve God. They need to know you love God. And here's the thing about it. You won't have to say a word. They'll see it. They'll see if you love God. They'll see if you trust God. They will witness with their own eyes your life, and they'll see. 
And it's the same with our friends. The friends that you interact with need to know you trust God and that you love God and that you will serve God. And again, they'll see it. You won't have to go in tomorrow to your workplace and go, hey guys, I just want to let you know I love God. I'm keeping in keeping with, with Deuteronomy. In fact, if you don't know Deuteronomy, could everybody just gather around the cube for a second? I just want to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because I need you to know I love God. No, they already know. Because they'll begin to see it. And they'll see it in those moments that you lose patience. Or they'll see it in those moments that you jump in to disrespect whoever it is that you don't like, their agenda or their way of living life. They'll see. They'll see who it is and what it is that you really value and love. And I would, I would partner with this one. that Because there needs to be a transparency. And so parents, don't, let, don't, don't be afraid to let your kids. And, and, and people, don't, don't be afraid to let your friends know that, you know what, I struggle. Yeah, I'm a Christian and I'm a Jesus follower. But I'm going to let you know, I got hard, hard times. I, I have doubts. Guys, that's why we tell you every Sunday that it's okay to be imperfect because we want to be real. I don't, I'm not talking about setting up superficial walls and boundaries where your kids think you got it all together and that you're just, oh, you, know, you wake up singing every morning. You know, you need, they need to be days where you go, you know what, I've had a really rough day, but that goes back to allowing them to see you trust God. So again, we're not talking about superficial things. Let them know, you know what, I have weakness. And so when they call you on the carpet, well, I don't see you, say, you know what, you're right. I got some weakness in that. Or a coworker says, well, man, I just didn't think that was you know, what Christians did. So you know what? You're probably right. Admit when you're wrong. Admit, you know what? You're right. I don't have it all together. I'm trying. I'm fighting. I'm fighting for my hearts. And then he goes on, number four, he says, listen, I want you to create some rhythms in your life. He says in starting verse seven, impress them on your children. Again, we talked about now that you're kind of getting and you're fighting for your own heart. He says, impress them on your children. And again, for the context of day, impress them on your friends. Impress them on, you know, your coworkers. Whatever that looks like for you. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit up at home, and when you walk down the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Guys, this is so practical. And I'm not talking about hitting up Lifeway and buying up some, some cross jewelry. That's not what we're talking about. He's talking about setting up rhythms in your life. He says, listen, this is everyday life. He says, there's no special training needed here. There's no seminar that you need to go through. There's not a six-week conference. You don't need to listen to a TED Talk. He says, here's what I'm talking about. Just everyday life, set up rhythms. Now listen to the, the language in this. He says, when you sit, let me just give you one. Learn to sit down for meals and use that as a moment to have conversation. Again, with friends, family, kids, hey, how's life? Man, God's done some amazing things in my life. See the rhythm? He says, so when you sit down, he says, when you walk, use your travel time. One of the best things you can do on your ride home if you have kids is talk about what we did back here. Hey, what did Miss Allie and her crew do today? Use that as an opportunity to impress on your kids that what we do on Sunday mornings matter. When you pick them up from school, let's talk about struggles. How was the day? Oh, you lost your temper. Let's talk about that. Let's move through that. As you go and you, you take a coworker to lunch, use that travel time in the car. Again, I'm not talking about going, yeah, I need to really talk about your soul. If you died tonight, where it is that you would end up in heaven. But no, just talk about, hey, we're friends. How's the marriage? And use those opportunities to impress the trust and the service and the love that you have for God. And then he says, okay, when you lie down, bedtime, again, what an opportunity to pray. What an opportunity to talk about and recap the day. He says, all right, when you get up, when you get out of bed, 
Say, hey, what's the day look like? Again, putting God out there first. Today, when I get up, I need to go ahead and plant that flag. I'm going to go ahead and imagine the end of my day. I want the end of my day to end with God, and I'm going to begin my day with God. And everything that happens in between, this is so, so practical. And then the last thing that he says is this. He says, there are going to be moments in your life after you've created these rhythms that still life is going to come bearing down. And and it's hard, and it's difficult, and you're going to face some things that you didn't see coming, and you are ill-equipped to deal with. You don't know how to deal with. He says, so here's what you're going to need to do. He says, you're going to need to widen your circle. Now, go all the way back. Who is it that he is addressing? In verse 4, the beginning of that, before he ever talks about loving God, he says, Hear, O Israel. Listen in. He's talking to everyone. And the things that he says, then he lays out, he says, Listen, I need you to look around the room. He says, Everybody tune in, because this applies to everyone. He says, We're going to create a wide circle. Guys, if you're a parent, I want to tell you that your, your child is going to need more spiritual influence in their lives than just you. You're the primary. You're the most important. But there's still going to be moments, especially when you hit that preteen and middle school and you know, on into high school and college, that it's going to be important. In fact, it's going to be vital that your students have widened and you've allowed the widening of the circle to have more influence. And I'm going to say, church, that's why we put so much focus the way we do. That's why from the very beginning we said we're going to do kids and we're going to do students and we're going to go out of our way because we want to widen the circles in such a way where when a parent doesn't connect or when a parent is at odds, we have people who have influenced them and have influence with them and over them in order to be able to partner and do life. And here's the thing too, guys, we all at some point are going to need help. At some point, in some way, we're going to need encouragement. We're going to need to be built up and picked up. At some point, we're all going to need belonging. Don't be afraid to widen your circle. Again, we're not here to create these little pockets of loneliness, but we're here to create a community that encompasses. So as we kind of land this morning, we've talked a lot of different ways. And, you know, with all these heartbeats and all these rhythms, we could really develop each of them into a series. But I wanted to give you a snapshot this morning of why family matters to us but also how you have a vital role in family. And it doesn't matter what your physical family looks like. It matters that we come together as a spiritual family, creating a physical community where people begin to feel loved. All shapes and all sizes, no matter how messy or how broken, it's a place where everyone's welcome. Guys, this is not a well-house thing. It's a God thing. It's a God thing and that the moment that he decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing himself through Jesus and took pleasure in it, it became our thing. And so as we begin to pattern ourselves in the rhythms and the heartbeats of God, yeah, we're going to do it in worship. We're going to do it in the way that we offer service and hospitality. And then we're going to begin to extend it in the way that we minister to one another as family. And we're going to open our arms up and we're going to be as inclusive as we can be. And we're going to gather as many people as we can that are just looking to be helped, to be comforted, to be encouraged, to help with their kids, and a host of other things that will fall in between. 
as we continue to practice the rhythm of family. Father, this morning, I am so, so, so grateful to be a part of this family. And I'm not even talking about Wellhouse. I'm talking about being a part of the family known as church, being a part of, of this extended community that will literally touch eternity, that will survive past my physical life and will survive into the afterlife. God, I'm so grateful that you knew how tough life was going to be and that you decided to, to, to start an adoption plan from day one. God, I'm so grateful that I've been adopted. I'm, I'm a son. But God, I don't want to just be grateful in the way that allows me to sit on this and kind of shut my door and, and close everybody else off. But God, I want to, to, to leave my doors open. I, I want other people to be a part of the family, people that don't look like me and people that don't dress like me and don't act like me and don't believe like me. God, I want us to open our arms to begin to encompass all that we can. There, there's a lot of lonely, hurting people in our world, broken people in our world. We just want to say, hey, your family. And then for our physical family, God, I want us as a church to commit to fighting for the hearts of our kids and students. And God, I don't care what we have to spend and who we have to hire. I want our families with kids to know that Wellhouse is committed to partnering with them for the next generation. And we don't have any guarantees, and we know that's going to be bumpy rides at times, but we want to let them know that we are going to fasten the seatbelt and we're along for the ride. And so, Father, we just pray that you continue to reveal to us how it is that you want us to minister to our families. God, so, so grateful, again, that we get to do all of this and connect ourselves together and call ourselves family because of Jesus. And it's through his name we pray. Amen.